There is so much to say today. Good morning and a good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Um, what just happened? And a good Erev Shabbos to everybody. Um, I want to touch on a theme of today's Torah portion, also considering and taking into account tomorrow is Chav uh, Cheshven, the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab, fifth in lineage of the Chabad leaders, began Also, I want to just make mention that today is the art site of one of my mashpiyim, maybe my original mashpia. hard to say, Abayali Melech Tzviva was a very, very holy Jew, um, was the mashpia in Morristown, and really taught us what it means to love chassidus, what it means to love to learn, what it means to love to be a chassid and daven. So, in, this week, in today's Torah portion, I want to cover the Torah portion completely. <clears throat> At the beginning of the Torah portion, we have a very interesting uh, experience. Avram and Sarah are visited by three angels. The angels tell them that they're going to have a baby in one year. Sarah overhears the angels telling this to Avraham. And the Torah tells us, She starts to laugh. Right? And Hashem chastises her, so seemingly, seemingly chastises her, and says, Lama zet what is Sarah laughing about? Is there anything Hashem can't do? Sarah counters by saying, So the simple understanding of that verse is, she, she says, I didn't laugh because she was afraid of the consequences of her laughing. And Hashem says, No, you did laugh. So, seemingly, the simple reading of this section of the Torah is that Abraham's plugged in, he totally gets it, Sarah doesn't. Right? That's what it seems like. Now, let's fast forward. Yitzchak is actually born. When Yitzchak is born, and they experienced the miracle of Yitzchak being born. And we talked about this, I think, in yesterday's podcast or the day before. Sarah, kol Yitzchakli. Sarah says, anyone who's going to hear this is going to laugh. And Rashi says, what does it mean, everybody that's going to laugh? So Rashi says that harbei akareis nifkedu ima, many, many barren women gave birth to babies together with her. And many people who had tsaras were redeemed from their tsaras when Yitzchak was born. And, and therefore, there was a tremendous amount of laughter, joy, and celebration in the world. So Sarah brought this into, it had this concept that she appreciated. And it doesn't say that about Avram, it says that about Sarah. Then it says Avram made a party, Biyom hi gamel et Yitzchak. The day Yitzchak came of age. So either it's he came of age, he was weaned, whatever it is. He made a party in his honor. Who was the determining factor of when Yitzchak came of age? Particularly if you're talking about when he was weaned. Who makes that determination? Avram or Sarah? Huh? Sarah, for sure. That's a, it's a sort of determination. So she's completely in control here. 
And then she sees that her education of her son is not what it should be. So she tells Avram to banish Ishmael from the home. And then, of course, Hashem makes that statement that has plagued Jewish husbands ever since. That Hashem says to Avraham, Whatever Sarah says, listen to her. And Jewish wives have said this to their husbands ever since. But it turns out, Sarah's got this totally under control. She's got this all figured out. She's totally on top of it. Totally plugged in. And in many ways it looks like Avram is not quite so plugged in. Let's add one more event. The Akedah. Avram goes and takes Yitzchak. So purportedly as a sacrifice. He doesn't even tell Sarah that that's what he's doing. Avram takes him, binds him on Hara Maria. And at the last second, Avram is told, no, this was only a test. You're not supposed to actually sacrifice him, etc. Sarah, when she hears the story, expires. And that's why the beginning of next week's parasha is Vayuchai Sarah. So what does it mean? What was it she expired from? Why'd she pass away? The shock of knowing that her son was being sacrificed? The high and the low of finding out that he wasn't sacrificed? What made Sarah pass away? What's really going on here in this story? So here's the thing. Chassidus tells us that the true difference between Avram and Sarah is that Avraham lives in the abstract. Sarah lives in the real world. And there's advantages to each. There's advantages to each. Living in the abstract is a very good thing to do because you no longer see the physical world as a physical world. You only see the ruchnias. You only see the spirituality contained therein. That's all you see. And because that's all you see, that's where you live. There's the famous Hasidic story. It's told about various of the Hasidic masters. Which one it actually happened to, I don't know. He was in the middle of teaching his disciples and he heard noise out on the street. So he asked his students, what's the noise on the street? So they said, everyone in the city, people are tumbling that Mashiach is coming. Or Mashiach is here. Huh? And they say, I heard it in the name of the Katska also. So went, let's say it was him, why not? That's what Rabbi Chaim says. He walks over to the window and he opens the window. And he sticks his head out of the window and he goes, and he turns around and he goes, no, I guess not. So obviously the question was that if Rabbi Achmedal could smell when Mashiach came, why do you have to go to the window? And the answer is, come on, this is an easy one, a softball. Because his room already, he was living messianically. He has to stick his head out of the window to see the, the rest of the world smell like it smells in his room. Because he's already living in the abstract. He's already living in Moshiach. The question is, is the rest of the world also living in Moshiach? Why were the windows to his room closed? Aye. Okay, there's a question. The Nudnik, 
So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now, the, the, so, so when we look at Avram and Sarah, Avram is living in the abstract. Three angels come to him and tell him he's going to have a child. Why not? Why not? He lives in the abstract. Sarah is not any less faithful. She doesn't have any less faith than Avram, but she lives in the real world. So she says, Is it then realistic that such an incredible miracle? She's not questioning whether or not Hashem can do it. She's wondering aloud, how are we going to be able to manifest a miracle so incredible in a physical world and harness that energy so that it actually manifests itself in the physical? <coughs> that we don't wind up with children that are only spiritual children. Because you could have the blood, huh? Which they had. Which they had, and which they could have more of. And it doesn't only manifest itself in the spiritual, in the godly, in the transcendent realm. That it actually is going to happen in the physical world. That we're going to actually see a child. That was to her, tzachaka, that caused laughter. Wow, that's incredible. And so once it actually happens, and she truly gives birth to Yitzchak, she sees and recognizes the incredible blessing, miracle, that something so transcendent was able to manifest itself in a physical world. The infinite is being fused with the finite. On the highest level, and realized that she has to be able to use that, utilize that energy much more even than Avraham, even though Avraham was the person who brought the message of godliness to the world. But remember, Avraham brought the message of godliness to the world top down. We have all the stories, right? That he opened his tent, and you came, and you could eat for free. And if you didn't have money, or you didn't want to pay, he said, uh, uh, just bench. And if you refused to bench, then he gave you a bill. So you're talking about people who just had a meal for free. All they need to do is bench. And even their benching technically would be sort of lip service. And they still said no until they saw the bill. Imagine. So that's a complete top-down It's completely top-down superimposed on the world. Sarah, by contrast, is totally bottom-up. She says, no, 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 no. We have to figure out how to harness that energy and make it work in this physical world. We have to make it part and parcel of what's going on in this physical world. We have to change the physical world and make it a godly place so that it not only is a conduit for godliness, it becomes the godliness. So when she gives birth, dozens and dozens of women become redeemed with her. Because the whole world has changed now. The whole world suddenly feels it. You want to say something? Oh, you're just... Okay. Okay. So to continue that theme, to continue that theme, Sarah expires. Why? Because she has this moment when she thinks to herself, if Yitzchak was supposed to be a sacrifice, why wasn't he in the end? 
What made him unworthy? Did I not bring up my child correctly so that he would successfully be able to fuse the transcendent with the mundane? Did I do something wrong? I recognized my mission. I knew exactly what it was I was supposed to do. And if anything, it should have raised my son Yitzchak to a place where he was worthy of being a sacrifice. Whether physically, spiritually, emotionally. And so she says, the only thing left for me to do now is to literally hand it over to him. If I step back completely, since my whole life is about bottom up, elevating the bottom so that it becomes part and parcel, if Yitzchak's not finished yet with his mission, maybe I'm in his way. Maybe I'm in his way. I educated him, I brought him up, I brought him to this place, etc., etc., etc. Now he's got to do it on his own. Now he's got to stand on his own feet. The Rebbe Rashab, similarly, was all about that. About empowering and teaching Chassidus in a way that he made, created the yeshiva where people could study on their own, become deep thinkers of Hasidic mysticism, and by becoming deep thinkers of Hasidic mysticism, it would alter their view of the world. That's what he wanted from Tamim He even wrote his epistle that was basically his introduction to what it meant to be a student in his yeshiva started with a quote from the Gemara, the Gemara says, soldiers that went out to fight the war on behalf of King David had to write a bill of divorce to their wives before they left. And, it was, and that passage of the Gemara is the way he started his intro into what it was going to mean to be a student in his yeshiva. Can you imagine? You were joining the military in a very, very strong way, in a form of self-sacrifice, that you were going to have to take the physical world and utterly elevate it and transform it to the spiritual. But experiential has to be yours. You have to experience it your way and your mode. Oh, I did mention my mashpia. I'll tell a quick story of my mashpia. I started learning on my own when I was in Morristown a, a work of the Rebbe Rashab, actually, whose birthday is tomorrow, called Kuntr Satfila. It's a, a, an essay, a very long essay. It comes in booklet form on prayer, on Adadavim. The first two and a half pages of Kuntr Satfila is a lot of parentheses. So he goes off on a lot of tangential thoughts within tangential thoughts. Almost to the point, not almost to the point, to the point where the unlettered student can't navigate when, which parentheses is starting, which one is ending. So you see the end of a parentheses, you don't know if it's the end of this parentheses or the one that started before that, or is it the one after that? It's very, it's very difficult to navigate through those first two and a half pages. I had taken on to learn this outside of the normal study hours. Our normal study hours started at 7.30 in the morning. 
I was studying this with a partner from 7 to 7.30 in the morning, every day. Our mashpia, Rabbi Tzvibel, whose yard site is today, would come at 7.30, because that's when he was supposed to be in, you know, he had to be in yeshiva, his job, to be there at 7.30. And what happened is, if you had a question, you could go over and ask him. He took turns going over and asking him, since he always had a conversation with you. So instead of standing online to ask him a question, wherever you were in the base marriage, you would just raise your finger and you could see while he was talking to whoever he was talking to. And he kept a piece of paper with a pen. He would write your name down. And when he was finished with this guy, he would say, okay, now call over that guy who was next to the list. That's the way he would do it. So instead of wasting time standing online, you could continue learning while you had your place. He would walk in at 7.30. I was already sitting at his desk because I couldn't figure this out. So the first day, he came in, he answered our question, me and my chavrusa. The second day, he comes in at 7.30, and he sees us sitting there again, and he, he says, uh, he answers our question. The third day, he does it again. On the third day, he says to us, what, what is this? What are you guys doing? Because it's not really part of the normal learning. So we said we took on ourselves to, to, to study this, he says, what time? What time do you learn? So we said, we learn from 7 to 7.30. Every morning. So he said, okay. Didn't say anything else. Next morning, 7 a.m., we walked into the base medrash, and my chibu was sitting there. And he called us over. He was sitting there waiting for us already. We came in at 7. He called us over. And from 7 to 7.30, he taught us. It took like four or five days. He went through the whole first two pages with all the parentheses and navigated it for us. And when we were done, he said, okay, the rest you can do on your own. Now you're on your own. Wow. And he came every morning at 7 o'clock on his own to come learn with us. That was Mesina Snefesh. That was a real self-sacrifice on his part. And I'll always be grateful of having done that. So L'chaim, on his yard site, L'chaim, to us each, bringing down the transcendent into the physical, we should successfully do this once and for all, because right now, it doesn't get more physical than what we're going through right now. It doesn't get more physical than this. This is very, very real. It's life, it's life, and it's life. I'm not going to say anything else, Chas it's going to be only life. We're going to bring life for every single Jew. We're going to bring peace to Eretz Yisrael by all the mitzvahs that we've done. Baruch Hashem Chabad Brentwood has distributed five O pairs of tefillin. Wow. He just texted me. Um, he said pictures are coming, videos. He claims it's going to blow my mind when I see what's going on. We distributed five O pairs of tefillin, Baruch Hashem, already. Soldiers. Who are standing there and saying they promise to put on tefillin every single day to bring shmira fifty tefillin? In my view, that's more powerful than fifty bulletproof vests. I think so. I don't know. It would seem to me. What? Right. Don't live in the spiritual. No, I'm saying it brings it down to the physical world. We're the best, and we're hundred percent. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Hakadosh Baruch Hu should bless us. Shemimatzliach. Destroy all our enemies, meaning the enemies from within the Yitzhahara, transform it to good, 
the revelation of Mashiach, it happens very second. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.